Hello, everybody, and welcome back to 211's Baseball Talk. we got a great episode for you with Scott MacArthur, host of the leadoff with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590. The fans, stay right there. We'll be back after this. That was Valence by Infinite walking you into episode 63 of 211's Baseball Talk. It's a pleasure to be with you once again. My name is Dylan Baker. As I mentioned in the intro, we have Scott MacArthur, host of the leadoff with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on the show. Scott has been on four times now on the podcast. Uh, started off as the host of the Blue Jays Talk when he first came on, now the host of the leadoff. Uh, it's, it's a pleasure to sit down with him every time he comes on the show. Great uh, great show the leadoff is uh, every morning on Sportsnet 590. I try to listen uh, whenever I can. So the leadoff with Ziggy and Scotty Mack is Scott's show, 6 to 9 a.m., Monday through Friday on Sportsnet 590. The fan, give it a listen if you've got the chance to do so. Today with Scott, we talk about the Nolan Arenado trade to the St. Louis Cardinals. We talk about the next steps for the Blue Jays and their continued offseason push for contention and the MLB's proposal for the Players Union that uh, happened last week. We didn't get a chance to talk Trevor Bauer with Scott MacArthur because just uh, like the Arenado trade last week, it came out a day after we recorded with our guest. So Scott and I didn't get a chance to talk to Trevor Bauer. We even briefly mentioned the idea of him potentially going to the Blue Jays, and uh, you'll hear his thoughts all about that and more in this episode. So without further ado, it's time to chat with Scott MacArthur. Joining me now is Scott MacArthur, host of The Leadoff with Ziggy and Scotty Mack on Sportsnet 590. The fan, Scott, how are you today? I'm great, Dylan. Always fun to be on. Glad to do it. It's a pleasure to have you on. The fourth time that you're on the podcast, you're our uh, most frequent guest on the show and in, in our 63 episodes now and uh, it's always a great time when you're on the show so thanks again for joining well 63 episodes i mean that that means the royalty checks are going to start coming in the mail i'm looking forward to that <laughs> you know it uh, soon enough soon enough <laughs> all right jumping right into things uh last week there were rumblings that a nolan arenado trade to the cardinals was being discussed and that rumor had been swirling for a couple of years that maybe the colorado rockies were looking at trading arenado but now it seemed like a real possibility this weekend it was revealed that Arenado had been traded to the Cardinals in exchange for lefty Austin Gomber, shortstop Mateo Gill, righty Tony Losi, and utility man Elhuris Montero, as well as right-handed pitcher Jake Summers. That came out the other day because this had to be specially approved by the league and the Players Association as MLB and the MLBPA needed to approve a transaction of this magnitude for a few reasons. One, from the side of the MLB, there's a significant amount of money going to the Cardinals to help ease the strain of paying $199 million to Arenado over the next six to seven years. Also, this deal would require Arenado to waive his no-trade clause, then regain it once he's in St. Louis, lose the 2021 opt-out, and potentially some more contract restructurings the MLBPA needed to sign off as well. We've seen some of these restructuring packages, uh, restructuring deals get shot down in the past by the MLBPA. Uh, I believe A-Rod to the Red Sox in the mid-2000s, that was shot down uh, because, of, because of the way that the contract is going to be restructured. This one got approved, though. Scott, what was your immediate reaction to this deal? That the Colorado Rockies are pathetic. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, you know, but so you, you've got a cornerstone player who you've jerked around for more than a year. I mean, it, it's been more than a year since the owner, Dick Monfort, very appropriate first name, <laughs> uh, first acknowledged that they had been trying to trade Arenado during the 2019 season which was a 71-win, 91-loss season coming off of a couple of 
playoff appearances in 2017 and, and 2018. Very early on in, in his extremely long-term and lucrative contract, Arenado at that point said, look, okay, you're trying to trade me? Get me out of here. Get me out of here. Mm-hmm. And you are essentially, if you're the Colorado Rockies, trading away a fan favorite, arguably your best player, perhaps inarguably your best player, and you are sending $50 million <laughs> out the door to the acquiring team to help them pay to employ your previously cornerstone player in exchange for five people, four of whom have not touched a major league baseball diamond and may not, or if they do, it could be brief. They didn't get the Rockies, any of the Cardinals top 10 prospects and nobody in major leagues, top 100 prospect, pool as we sit here right now there is absolutely no way to sell this trade to the denver and colorado fan base and it is yet another in a growing list of examples you darvish traded by the cubs to the san diego padres of wealthy owners divesting themselves of expensive contracts and using the pandemic as a cover. Because I'll tell you this, business may be tough in Major League Baseball right now. Fans aren't coming in through the gates. You're not selling as much popcorn and beer, hot dogs and merchandise, et cetera, et cetera. But the last time I checked, franchise values, i.e. what you could sell your franchise for should you decide one day to sell it, those, those aren't going down. Baseball is still a lucrative business. These teams are prizes. It's time for owners to stop crying broke. Absolutely. I was, I was shocked by this deal as well. I couldn't believe that one Rockies traded their cornerstone player. I mean, we had seen maybe it was going to be coming for the past couple of years. As you mentioned, the Rockies owner declared that they had been shopping Arenado and totally like understandable reaction from Arenado. When he heard that he just wanted to get out of there because he had just signed a massive deal. But my biggest question was how on earth, and I heard you ask it as well. How on earth did Colorado or sorry, did St. Louis convince Colorado to give them $50 million to help pay for the best, arguably the best third base baseball, who has won a platinum glove, a couple, I think, and, and gold gloves. And he's a fantastic offensive player. How did the, the Cardinals convince them to do that? I, I think it's ridiculous because Arenado is, is the best at his position. And it's crazy to me, absolutely insane that the Cardinals got the Rockies to pay, pay them $50 million. Well, we're, you kind of detailed some of it, but, but I think if we were painting it in more broad and, and simplistic strokes, again, everything is relative. Baseball is toy money for a lot of these owners. I mean, there is not, and I, I struggle, you can, if you can think of one, um, please pass it along. But in the, in the so-called big four sports, I can think of no other owner of a professional sports team other than Mark Davis of the Las Vegas Raiders of the NFL. I can think of no other owner whose primary business is the team he owns. So it's all relative, but the St. Louis Cardinals, despite being a successful operation and a destination place for players to go play because the Cardinal brand has represented success through the decades 
the St. Louis Cardinals are a middle market team and they're not exactly swimming in it right now. And the Colorado Rockies had a problem. They had a player that they had alienated an elite player that they had alienated. And that player wanted nothing to do with them any longer. And the market because of the pandemic and for other reasons has dwindled for these sorts of players. It essentially becomes salary dumps. So the Colorado, uh, Colorado Rockies look at it and say, well, we got 199 or so million dollars left over uh, the term of this Arenado contract. It becomes far, for, far more manageable for us to contribute $50 million over the life of that deal. We'll save about 150 million bucks to get him out of here. And we'll just take the prospects and hope for the best. The Colorado Rockies, and it is hilarious that Dick Monfort, the owner, is saying, no, no, we're built to compete. Jeff British, the general manager, saying we're built to compete. The Colorado Rockies aren't trying this year. And I'd be angry at the Rockies for that, more so if they weren't alone in that endeavor. There are more teams not trying this year than trying. And it's just that a couple of teams, particularly the Rockies with Arenado, and the Chicago Cubs with you Darvish, it's just that a couple of teams are making it blatantly obvious the direction they're taking. So it was about getting rid of Arenado. You can't continue to have a player. You can't continue to alienate a player and have a player who is alienated hanging around. That relationship had to end, and it did last week. Yeah, and we've seen in, in so many cases that, that there are more teams trying to lose, it seems, in the MLB uh, than there are that are trying to win. Well, I'll just jump in on one more thing there, Dylan. The St. Louis Cardinals, by making that move, are the only team in the National League Central who has given any signal that they care about winning this year. That, that division is available. The Cincinnati Reds um, are, are going to watch Trevor Bauer walk out the door. The Chicago Cubs... I mean, the Chicago Cubs had a, a variety of issues that after that youthful core won the World Series in 2016 and, and it did win the division in 2017 again. But it was a bit of a topsy turvy year. They won a, a weaker division that year. They snuck into the playoffs in 2018 and COVID made a mess of 2020. A 162 game uh, Cubs team in 2020 would not have made the playoffs, but they got off to a hot start. And so they did in a 60 game season. That core was 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 weird, um, and it didn't ever really live up to the hype for possible repeat World Series championships after 2016. So they're breaking off and going in different directions, but they're doing it in this really sort of we're going to tear it all down and build it back up sort of way. I don't think a team like the Chicago Cubs with its revenue generating opportunities, not just the stadium Wrigley field, but what's around Wrigley field. They got their own television network. Now the marquee sports network, there's no excuse. There's no excuse for not, for not competing. The Pittsburgh pirates are in a perennial rebuild. It seems save for two years in the middle part of the decade and the Milwaukee brewers stink. So it, it's just like the Cardinals are looking at going, we can get a cornerstone player to play third base for us. We went and got Goldschmidt a couple of years ago to play first base. They're jumping in head first. They should win if it's a 162-game season. They could win that division by 10 games. Yeah. No, my, my next question was going to be, does this make the Cardinals the favorites in the NL Central? But I think it's abundantly clear. Clearly. Will be clearly. Uh, in, in that division. And they got Jack Flaherty. I mean, they're, they're just – they're a well – 
they're a well-structured definitely team. and and you know every now and then the pittsburgh pirates will dip in and interrupt things or the chicago cubs will dip in and interrupt things maybe the milwaukee brewers will have a cup of coffee near the top of the division but the national league central the cubs were supposed to break that up and one would argue maybe they did for more years than 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 other teams but the division really has always been St. Louis's and everybody else comes for occasional visits. Now, so instead of that St. Louis question, I'll ask you this. Where does Colorado go from here? Well, they, they seem to insist that they're built to compete. They've got another issue to deal with in the not too distant future. And what that's what to do with their shortstop Trevor story. Uh, they have an excellent pitcher who, highlights their rotation in, in Herman Marquez. I mean, what are they going to do with him? I, I, if, if, if you're throwing Arenado and some cash out the door, regardless of what you're telling me with your words, your actions are suggesting you have no intention of competing this year. I would, I would package Marquez and, and, and try to get some upper tier prospects. I can think, um, Hmm, it doesn't have to take me long. I'm just, I'm just looking at my crib notes on my hand here. Teams that could use an upper echelon starting pitcher to fit in between Hyunjin <laughs> Ryu and Nate Pearson. Oh, that, that list is one. Um, <laughs> but I, 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 think, I, I think the Colorado Rockies may as well. I mean, don't, don't burn half your house and then try to live um, in the uh, smoke-stained half uh, that 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 didn't completely collapse to the ground. I mean, if you're if you're going to crater and you're going to stop trying, stop lying to your fan base and just have the guts to do it. Acknowledge that you're cheap. Acknowledge that you're an embarrassment, and get about the business of trying to regain your dignity over the next half decade or so. That's where I think the Colorado Rockies need. Yeah, to Yeah, I, I am completely in agreement with you on that. I think they've got to get some some top tier prospects because right now I don't think they have any. And then Trevor Story is a free agent. I, I seriously doubt that he's going to want to stay in Colorado, especially with, with the way that they're trending right now. Going from a team that isn't trying to win to a team that is, the Blue Jays, of course, got uh, George Springer, Marcus Semien, Stephen Matz, and Francisco Liriano just recently. They're rebuilding that uh, 2017 Jays rotation at the beginning of the year. Uh, but Semien and, and Springer are great for the Jays' offense. They're both, both welcome additions to the team from a leadership standpoint. Um, However, to put them in, world, in the World Series conversation, they'll need a starter or two. And you mentioned that Herman Marquez could be a guy that they look at. Matz is a good pickup with potential considered, but they absolutely need more because Matz probably ideally pitches out of the bullpen. There are several good options on the market, and the Jays need to sign or trade for some better guys to put them in that elite tier. Trevor Bauer is still a free agent, but the Jays have no shot, right? Well, I, I think the question is, is do, do they want to have a shot? Uh, Trevor Bauer is a, a lot of things. An excellent pitcher is only one of them. And Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins have their own definition of, quote, culture. And I know have been frustrated at times by elite two very good players, if you want to downgrade somebody a rung, have been frustrated by some elite to very good players that they have employed here in Toronto in the past. I, I know for a fact that Josh Donaldson at times frustrated them. I know for a fact that Marcus Stroman at times frustrated them. 
Trevor Bauer has questionable history, particularly online with his treatment of women, some of the things that he has said. And if you're bringing that into the clubhouse, you are signaling that it is win over everything. I'm not going to sit here and debate the quality of pitcher that Trevor Bauer is. We know from an on-field perspective, an on-field product perspective, he is excellent. There are some who would tell you that if baseball ever did, and I doubt that it will because everybody does it, but that if baseball ever did clamp down on the use of some foreign substances that have helped, allegedly, and I underline that word, put it in brackets, helped pitchers like Trevor Bauer increase the spin rate on their pitches, particularly their fastballs, that that might mitigate some of Bauer's success. I, from a strictly baseball perspective, if I was being that myopic, I would say go out and get them. But I hear so much about culture and uh, the value that they place in, quote, good people, uh, that I just don't see Bauer being a fit for the Toronto Blue Jays. Although I do know that Shapiro and Atkins know Bauer from his earlier days in Cleveland, but a lot has happened between then and now. Um, And also you'd have to back up the Brinks truck if you were going to bring Trevor Bauer in. And so it becomes a a risky proposition. If I were betting my mortgage, which I'm not, but if I were betting my mortgage, I would say that Trevor Bauer is probably not. I agree with you. And you talked about the the character guys and and this culture. When the Jays acquired uh, Simeon Woods Richardson and Anthony Kaye for Marcus Roman, a lot of fans were disappointed with the return. But one thing we actually talked about on the podcast was how they they do have a lot of potential, Woods Richardson especially. um, But they, they, they seem to really, from the moment they got traded, embrace the culture. Simeon Woods, Richardson, Anthony Kay, they were both, you know, uh, talking about Canada on their social media profiles. There's one thing to, you know, acknowledge the trade and say, I'm excited to be a Blue Jay. But there's another thing to, to ask for recommendations and to, to try and really embrace that new city that you're going to. And I think that was a great example of them targeting not only good players, but character guys as well. And they got that in Woods, Richardson and Kay. Now, Bauer's not the only pitcher on the free agent market. James Paxson, Jake Odorizzi, Taiwan Walker, all still free agents at the time of this recording, which is Thursday, February 4th. Now, do you think that they get any of them? And if they, they do want to compete, how many of those three, two out of three, one out of three, all three of them, do they need to really put themselves maybe over the top? Well, I, I don't know if quantity lends to true contendership, but I, I do believe you require quantity. But none of the names you listed there at this particular point is a true difference maker. So how is this season going to look? Well, as we sit here right now on February 4th, the players had rejected a league, an owner's proposal for a slightly shortened season to be played in three fewer weeks than the 26 weeks that is typically played uh, or or that it typically takes to play 162 games. So we're going to get the full season based on what we know right now. So we'll talk about it this way. What you had last year was a 60 game year, which means that your pitchers didn't throw nearly as much as they did in 2019. And in the case of a guy like Nate Pearson, who was still ramping up his innings count year over year over year as a young pitcher, that was significantly stunted last year, A, because it was a short season and B, because he wasn't completely healthy for the entirety of that that short season. So how many innings can a guy like Nate Pearson actually pitch this year? 
Hyunjin Ryu has had shoulder problems in his past, and we know that last year he was more comfortable pitching on every sixth day instead of every five. Well, I think they'll seek to get him the extra day of rest whenever possible using off days, etc. But that might reduce his totality of starts to 28 from, say, 31, 32. You're going to need a lot of arms quantity to compete. So you can go down the list, the, the, the striplings of the world, the Rorks of the world, if they don't trade him. You might see an Anthony Kay make a start. You might see a Thomas Hatch make a start. You might see a lot of names make starts this year because you've got to monitor your pitchers. You may also see opener scenarios where, where Nate Pearson is a six-out guy, and then you backfill with the middle relief types to get you through to your late guys in a nine or a 10 inning game. These sorts of things are all under consideration. So from a quantity perspective, you need as much of it as possible. The Liriano signing is a zero risk scenario. If he makes the team and he's useful to you, there might be an area or two you could use him. He might be able to spot start for you. I know he opted out last year, but who knows? That's just, that's another body who, if he makes the team is functional for you. Paxton, I mean, he ain't the guy he was three or four years ago in Seattle. He's not the guy that we remember throwing the no-hitter for the Mariners at Rogers Center. Struggled with the Yankees, has had injury problems. But if they land him, again, quantity. That's one half of it. I'll get back to my original point, which is quality. I still say they need somebody behind Hyunjin Ryu, like a legit 1A 1B situation, or even a legit a legit top two. And I don't care if you call Ryu a one or a two or whoever else. They may get a one or a two. I don't care about that. But they need somebody else at the top of that starting rotation, in my opinion, to be considered a legitimate contender for A, the American League East crown, and then B, anything else you want to talk about beyond that. I agree. That and I think that the, the closest guy to being – a solid two or maybe even a one one B to Ryu would be Taiwan Walker from what we saw last year. If he's able to to replicate that, I think out of the three guys there, he is the most likely to potentially slot in if he has a really good season right behind Ryu, right ahead of Pearson. Yeah, and I mean they're and Dylan, they're also counting on guys like Robbie Ray, who can mm-hmm. be a bit of a hybrid for them. But Ray's got to show over a longer term that that he can he can throw the baseball <laughs> yeah. to the catcher's mitt. Right. I mean, that's that you, you got to hit your spots. Uh, you can't be walking five every nine innings and, and giving up 35 home runs in a single season, especially in the American League East. That's not going to equate to success. So, I mean, they value Pete Walker, their pitching coach heavily. He certainly was a help to Robbie Ray, who was much better with the Blue Jays after they got him from Arizona than he had been pitching for the Diamondbacks. He's a few years removed from his best major league seasons, but this is this is this is why they use Pete Walker. This is why they have Pete Walker. They trust in him. But you also don't want to be taking too many flyers. I think you have to go and you get a legitimate guy so that you're not counting on too many ifs coming true for you. Yeah, and, that, and that's typically why you would want to go for a more established guy like a Herman Marquez or a Luis Castillo who was in trade rumors. Do you think that those two guys are the most likely trade candidates, trade targets for the Blue Jays? Or do you think that there are some other guys around the league that they might be looking at right now via trade? Well, I, 
Yeah, I mean, you, you mentioned a lot of the, the sort of mid-tier free agent targets, whether it's a Jake Odorizzi, who they flirted with last year before he accepted the qualifying offer from the Minnesota Twins, and that's a guy who has had some success in the American League East, and we talked about Taiwan Walker, James Paxton, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, if you're making a trade right now for me, you're making a trade – because you expect to contend and you're divesting yourself of probably a now player, i.e. a guy on your big league roster and some of your better or upper tier prospects. I know they still have a bit of an allergy to trading off any of their top prospects, but you are going to be thinning the herd just a little bit. And they can do that and still have one of the top farm systems in baseball. I mean, they've stocked themselves well. They got a lot of depth at catcher, in the system, they have drafted a lot of shortstops, which is also good because those are guys who can play all around the diamond. There aren't nine shortstops uh, positions on the field. So you, you take those middle infielders, those typically shortstops who are really good athletes, and they can end up in center field. They can in, end up at, at, at third base, second base, corner outfield spot. They, they tend to be really good athletes, and so they can be a bit of a hybrid for you. There's a lot of value in those guys. It would take a lot to get a Luis Castillo because he's got three years of control left with the Cincinnati Reds. And so if you're three years to free agency, that means the acquiring team has you for the next three years through your arbitration years. And I hesitate to use the, the, the definitive word um, prohibitive, but it's a long time before Castillo becomes prohibitively expensive and, and he should not be prohibitively expensive for a team like the Toronto Blue Jays. So I think if, well, I don't think, I know, if they're going to go and get somebody to pitch underneath Hyunjin Ryu or, you know, to co potentially compete with Ryu to be considered the ace, and that's really a narrative and a thing that, that we banty about. It doesn't matter who's one or who's two. But if you're going to go and get a high-quality pitcher, to be right up there at the top of the rotation with Ryu at this point, it is going to require a trade. And now it is up for the, to the Blue Jays to assess, are we where we think we can contend for this division um, and potentially a deep playoff run with the acquisition of an upper echelon starting pitcher? And if the answer is yes, I think you aggressively pursue it. But like the free agent, the player has to want to come play for you as much as you're willing to offer him term and dollar in a trade. The other team has to want to dance. So it takes a lot of negotiation and sometimes it takes a lot of time. Alex Anthopoulos will tell you it took him the better part of eight or nine months, just hounding Billy bean of the Oakland A's at the time to acquire Josh Donaldson when it finally went down in late November of 2014. These things take time. And just because we haven't heard of anything close doesn't mean the Blue Jays. Yeah, and I don't know if the, the Jays pace. are ready to compete for a deep playoff run, ready to have a deep playoff run this season. I think if they had had a full 162 last year, there's a chance that they might be ready for it. But I don't know if this is the year that they're going to be contending for a World Series. So I don't know if they make that deal, but it's not uh, my job to evaluate them. That's the front office. Um, Major League Baseball proposed a 154 game season for this year last week, delaying it by about a month and starting the regular season 
uh, April 29th, I believe. This would have pushed the playoffs in November, only delaying the end of the season, end of the season by a week. You mentioned, you talked about it earlier. Uh, this proposal included full pay for players. However, the idea of playing 162 games in, uh, in six months or so is wild, but to play 154 in just around the same amount of time uh, is, is, is insane or maybe even less time. So the union doesn't like the aspect of it. Um, the schedule would have included uh, 12 double headers with more likely coming due to COVID exposures and postponements. The MLBPA rejected the proposal with no counter. With spring training beginning so soon, were you surprised the league proposed this when they did? Uh, nothing baseball does surprises me. And Dylan, I think the league made that suggestion with, with the full knowledge that the players would say no. And all we're seeing right now is unproductive optics being played ahead of what will undoubtedly be the most contentious labor negotiation since the players' strike of 1994 shut down the rest of the season, uh, erased that year's World Series, and the 1995 season didn't start until a few weeks after it originally would have in late April. These two sides are extremely unhappy with each other right now, and the players are deeply concerned about service time manipulation They are deeply concerned about the number of teams that very clearly are hoarding wealth and not spending on player payroll. And they are looking at a landscape that really is truthful across all sports. And they're saying to themselves, we're baseball players. When we get drafted, either as 18-year-olds coming out of high school or we go to college and we play our three seasons in, in, in college ball uh, down in the U.S., and we get drafted at 21, we then get pushed into our teams, our drafting teams pipeline. And, you know, for every Bryce Harper or every uh, John Olerud, to use a, an older example from a little more than 30 years ago, for every player who plays zero – or almost no minor league games, there are thousands upon thousands of players who do. And if your service time clock doesn't start until you reach the major leagues at age 23, 24, sometimes 25, well, we know that the current rule in baseball is that you must have six full seasons of major league service before you qualify for free agency. You need three full seasons. Typically there are some so-called super two exceptions, but you need three full seasons typically before you become arbitration eligible. And in the first three seasons of your career, your team controls what they pay you. You have no say, no leverage in uh, any kind of negotiation. And so you typically make in the high six figures. That's good for you and me. It's not so great relative uh, to what some of the more veteran players make in baseball and players are looking at this because they're looking ahead or they have the right people in their ears who are saying, Hmm, you know, sports science and analytical data clearly shows that production drops once you get on the other side 
of 30. I can confirm that because I'm north of 40 now and my back hurts when I get out of bed every morning. Uh, the body changes, right? And, and you get a little bit older, plus you've got all that wear and tear through the years of your professional baseball career. You don't recover quite as quickly. And they're looking at it going, if, if I'm not going to be a free agent or if the average player isn't going to be a free agent until the age of 30 or 31, well, sure, the top tier guys are going to get paid on term and dollar really big, but most of us are going to be in that middle class and we're going to be fighting out over the scraps from teams that very clearly are showing us that they don't want, really want to spend a lot of money. So we want to try and earn more while we're young. And you've seen that a lot. Well, you see it in the NBA. You see it on second contracts in the NFL. You see it certainly in the NHL where players are willing to uh, sit. And, and, and Toronto Maple Leafs had uh, an example in William Nylander, almost had another one in, in Mitch Marner. I want to get paid now for my best years ahead because you guys are showing us that you're no longer doing the Prince Fielder or Albert Pujols thing where you pay us for the best years that we have had. And so that's where all this contentious uh, back and forth comes in. Anything you see and you hear uh, between now and the end of this season, uh, and COVID will mess with things, and that is always unpredictable, but anything that you see and you hear coming from the league or from the player's side are really just stakes being hammered into the ground as these two sides prepare for what will be a very ugly labor negotiation on a new CBA. And very sadly, it is possible, uh, and I know you won't remember this, but I do remember the fall of 94 and the early spring of 95. Uh, very sadly, we could be without baseball for the first time, other than for a pandemic, for the first time labor related in the better part of three decades. Oh, I completely agree with you. And just looking at, at the way that things shake out right now between the, the union and the league, I think that we are headed for a player's strike. I think that we are headed for, for some months without, without baseball. But I also believe that major League baseball is not really making an effort to, to, to get on the player's good side ahead of these negotiations. They're standing firm in their ground. And back to your point about, about not willing, uh, teams not being willing to pay players who are uh, above 30, I, I see their reasoning for that, but at the same time, the players deserve to get get paid uh, in better dollars than what they get right now for their for their prime years just before thirty and and the few years after that. So there are things that need to change for baseball to for the players and the league to to get along peacefully. But I completely agree that we are headed for uh, some labor disputes uh, in the very near future. So Scott, uh, thanks so much for joining the show today. It's always great to have you on, and uh, we look forward to having you on again. I'm fired up, pal. Awesome. Call you, on man. me anytime. It's, it's always fun. And by the way, congratulations, to, uh, congratulations go out to your dad, Chris, for following <laughs> yeah, your yeah, footsteps podcast. and starting start a podcast. Mine, so very proud to have inspired him in that way. <laughs> Thanks again, Scott. That was my interview with Scott MacArthur, and uh, you heard his thoughts there on the Rockies not trying to compete, um, calling them pathetic and, and uh, ripping them a little bit for the Nolan Arenado trade. He also shared his his ideas on, yes, the Blue Jays could acquire quantity pitching, but they really need to strive for quality pitching when they look at these guys. And maybe, you know, they trade for somebody instead of going out and trying to sign two of Paxton Odorizzi and Taiwan Walker. 
Um, other news and notes: Jamison Tyone signed with the New York Yankees. Sorry, got traded to the New York Yankees. I apologize for us being late on that one. Didi Gregorius signed a two-year, twenty-eight million dollar deal with the Phillies. Brad Hand to the Washington Nationals for a year and ten and a half million. Ken Griffey Jr. was hired as a senior advisor to the Commissioner for Youth Development. That should be good. Of course, the kid is uh, is hopefully going to help continue to grow the game with. And the sport needs that right now, I would say, as uh, the growth has been a little bit stagnant over recent years. Eddie Rosario signed with Cleveland. We'll see what Cleveland does this season. I'm very interested to see where they're at. I don't think they're a playoff team with the Twins and the White Sox in their division. The uh, b- Both teams actually made some moves to, to get better in the past week. Um, so it's... It's going to be interesting to see how Cleveland stacks up against the two powerhouses in that division. Uh, Adam Wainwright did not sign with the St. Louis Blues, despite what St. Louis local news might tell you. He signed with the St. Louis Cardinals for a year and $8 million. Yadier Molina was rumored to be returning to the St. Louis Cardinals. Nothing has come out officially yet, and there was even a rumor that he had talked with the Blue Jays. Um, but nothing official, to my knowledge, has been announced about Yachty going to the Cardinals. Carlos Rodon returns to the Chicago White Sox, and contrary to Bob Nightingale's report, he is not a former closer. He is a starting pitcher through and through and is returning to the White Sox. We'll see if he helps at the back end of that White Sox rotation where he might be needed. Uh, The Angels acquired Alex Cobb from the Orioles. My goodness, the Angels, they they can't do anything right now, I feel like. They, They need pitching. Alex Cobb is a good pitcher. If you get the Alex Cobb from Tampa Bay, you get a really good pitcher. The The problem is, it's still not a front-of-the-rotation guy. Alex Cobb is a fantastic number three, even better number four when he's on his game. And if he's on his game, that's all they're going to have. They're going to have Andrew Heaney at the top of that rotation. Joe Madden has talked about wanting to go with a six-man rotation. They have guys there that can fill those spots. But they, they needed to go get elite pitching this offseason, whether that was by trade, uh, get, trying to get like a Luis Castillo or a Herman Marquez, like Scott was talking about in this episode. They didn't do it. They could have also gone out and tried to really push hard, maybe overpay a little bit for Trevor Bauer, because they have the best player in baseball, potentially the best player of all time in Mike Trout in center field, yet they continue to suck. And they can't make the playoffs. They need better pitching. Alex Cobb is not that. He is he's a great pitcher, I think, and he's a great number three, but they need a front of the rotation guy, and Cobb is not that front of the rotation guy. Perry Manazian, the, the general manager of the Angels, said that he's happy with where the team is at. He didn't say they're looking to acquire more. How can you not be looking to acquire more when your team looks like that around Mike Trout? That team should be in the playoffs every year. They should be competing for a World Series. They've got the money to do it. They've got the talent offensively to do it. They've got Anthony Rendon, Mike Trout, Shohei Otani when he's on his game. Like, this is a really good offensive team, but they don't have pitching. And right now, it looks like the Jays might be in in a bit of the same boat, although they do have much better starters in Hyunjin Ryu and Nate Pearson, as well as, you know, Steven Matz, who they got by trade, and then some prospects coming up that can help with that rotation. But I, I don't personally like where the Angels are at right now. Um, Dustin Pedroia announced his retirement. Uh, Pedroia had a long, uh, a decent career, um, lengthwise, and a great career uh, with the stats. I, I don't know if Pedroia gets into the Hall of Fame. Injuries kind of riddled him in the last few years of his playing days, if you can call them that, because he was rarely on the field. I know it was a guy that I hated when the Blue Jays faced because he was he was a very good player and he seemed to always be doing the right things on the field. He was he was 
beloved in that clubhouse and uh, good for Dustin Pedroia on a great MLB career. We'll see if he gets into the Hall of Fame um, in the next five to ten years. Uh, Jordan Yamamoto got traded to the New York Mets after being placed on waivers by the uh, Miami Marlins. So we'll see what Yamamoto can do there. He had a pretty decent 2019 season, but really struggled in 2020. Did not look good at all. And you can make an exception for, you know, a short season. Now, that's the reason he didn't look so strong, but he didn't look very strong. He, did, he looked a little bit worse than not very strong in uh, in the 2020 season, so the Marlins move on from him. Joe Biagini signed a contract with the Cubs. It's a minor league deal. Biagini, of course, a former Blue Jay, great clubhouse guy, has struggled a little bit after his first season where he was a Rule 5 pickup for the Blue Jays. Did extraordinarily well in his first big league season, but kind of started to dip after that, especially when they tried to convert him into a starter. That seemed to, to throw Biagini off completely, and uh, and he's, he's struggled quite a bit ever since. So he goes to the Cubs wishing him all the best. Hopefully he can regain his form. Francisco Liriano to the Blue Jays on a minor league deal. Uh, Liriano was a part of that uh, illustrious 2017 Blue Jays rotation. Um, Liriano is, is a former Jay, and he probably just enjoyed what he had with Pete Walker and the Blue Jays staff, so he he's coming back for more. And, and you know what? He's a guy that, that can be great depth if he's able to make the team. Maybe he's your long reliever this season out of the bullpen if, he, if he's got the stuff still and he can and he can make this roster out of camp. Uh, and finally, Nelson Cruz returned to the Minnesota Twins on a one-year deal worth $13 million. Cruz, the ageless wonder. He continues to mash as he continues to get older. I think he's 41 now, uh, if I'm not mistaken, potentially even older than that. But he just continues to hit home runs and... He's been so good for the Twins in recent years. I think he wanted a two-year deal. Twins weren't willing to go to that, but he, he knows Minnesota. He knows the organization, so he, he was okay with a one-year deal for $13 million. And uh, that's where we're at in the past week in baseball. No Trevor Bauer talk in this episode. Uh, I feel like that deserves a deeper dive, and this episode has been a long one already, so I will leave it at that next week. You're going to hear all about Trevor Bauer. My thoughts on the signing. My thoughts on the Mets push. The Blue Jays maybe push as well. Uh, I talked about it a little bit with Scott MacArthur in today's episode. Uh, but you'll hear all about uh, my thoughts on where, where the NL West is at. The Mets push for him. The Angels lack of pushing for him. And, and so much more. So thank you all very much for tuning in to episode 63 of 211's Baseball Talk. Thank you again to Scott MacArthur for joining the show for a fourth time. Uh, I love chatting with Scott whenever he's on the podcast. So thank you all very much for listening. We'll talk to you again next week.